episode number 134 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on October 17th, 2021. My name is Eric, host of the show, based in southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer, and do whatever it is they have to do with TP, apparently. Going way off script already. <laughs> I'm just not reading what you put there, Ian. Fair enough. Um, my name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student of preparedness, target shooter, and small-scale hobby farmer. Tonight, I am also the designated dumb question guy. And that's what we appreciate about you, Ian. Uh, right. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, uh, overall safety nerd. I'm Gavin, a volunteer first responder, Carolina Reaper survivor, and instructor with Ragnarok Tactical. <laughs> Uh, I'm Scott, a first responder, splitting my time between southern and northern Ontario. I like learning things, and I don't accept that things will always carry on the way they have, just because it would be convenient for us. I'm Jeff. I'm based in uh, central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, still waiting for the ham radio quiz person to uh, set my date so I can take my uh-huh. test. Sure, come the excuses. <laughs> yeah, well, Wednesday's supposed to be the day. He said that last week, so we'll see. A lot of Wednesdays have come and gone, Jeff. It's always Wednesday. Yeah, well, you know, in my case, every day is a Wednesday. Oh, uh, yeah. Or a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, says the retired guy. <laughs> Must be nice. I'm Brad. I'm from Eastern Ontario. I've been in preparedness in some way, shape, or form since uh, the ice storm of 98, and I'm constantly trying to better myself. Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the wood gasifier fueled. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that article about the wood gasifier. We'll get back to that, but it was a cool one today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Also, check out our new Discord server. The link is in the show notes and then in the live chat. And apparently, I'm not allowed to post at the Facebook live chat. That's getting rejected. Okie dokie. Have you given your your donations to the Zuckerberg? Because maybe that's the problem. I think we're probably going to get zucked. I don't know. It happens. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> and us too, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. One so we've got some uh, <laughs> regulated content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Next, what you know, what we've done for our preparedness since the uh, last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic of advanced first aid. So let's move into the news. Um, not a whole lot of terribly interesting things for me this week. Um. Some of you may remember uh, uh, author Gary Paulson. He wrote a couple of novels, uh, one being The Hatchet, the sequel to that being The River. Um, they were about a young kid who was in, involved in a plane crash and managed to survive in the boreal forest in northern Ontario for several months. And uh, he died. Anyways, so that was kind of sad. I, um, I have very specific memories of reading those books while I was unable to participate things in things when I was a, when I was a kid. I was laid up in a cast and couldn't play so um yeah there we go that was uh, some sad news but it was you know all, as all things happen i guess he was 80 81 or 82 or something so it was a reasonable time for him to go he's canadian as well i'm assuming i believe he was oh cool 
All right, I got an article here from the CBC uh, bragging about how uh, the Saskatchewan's got their program up and running to hire ex-police officers to enforce COVID rules, uh, including sending people that uh, don't cooperate to a secure isolation site. Uh, and they also introduced a snitch line in Saskatchewan that if you feel somebody's not, uh, you know, adhering to COVID isolation or uh, spread protocols, I guess you can, uh, re- you know, call and get a reward for uh, snitching on them. What could possibly go wrong? Said the thought. Yeah, police. yeah, thought you know, hmm. thug, boot, jackbooted thugs, uh, snitch lines, and COVID camps. Oh my! Anyway, um, yeah, supply chain issues. Uh, Lee Valley Tools. Uh, did an article in the CBC as well saying they are looking at a one-year backlog for any items that you may order. They actually sent out their Christmas catalog early uh, with only items they have in stock and they said you order anything else, you're looking at a one-year wait minimum. Wow. So they might have, At this point, why they just say we don't have it or we're not going to have it? Because I mean, you know, it's yeah. silly. You're, you're ordering for not this Christmas, next Christmas is what yeah. they're saying. What I, what I find yeah, really it's... entertaining is driving past, uh, driving past car lots, right? Car dealers where the lots are absolutely empty, but they've still got signs that are like, come on in and design your perfect car because you have to order it and you're probably going to be waiting six to eight months. So you might as well get the exact one that you want. Kind of uh, reminds me of the Soviet yeah, Russia thing where you uh, can order your Lada and 10 years down the road it would show up. <laughs> well, I yeah. bet somebody, I believe it was on the Discord there, somebody put a tagged a video that somebody took of one of the ports down, I believe it was Long Beach or something. And... Um, it was empty. No boats at the port. No, no, no workers there. Nothing. I yeah, saw no, that earlier. If it was really a thing, they would put the National Guard to work at the docks. Really, if they really needed laborers, laborers, whatever. But they're still taking Sundays off. They're still working like I think maybe fifteen, sixteen-hour days. So two shifts. That's it. Uh, they're not working twenty-four-seven. So it's it's a manufactured crisis at best. But anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but well, the union well, won't let them work any longer. Well, that's, that's it, the right? other the other day said they were going to work nights or weekends or something. And somebody asked them, well, where are you going to get the workers from? You already don't have enough workers. Are you just are they going to be robots? Like, where are you going to get the extra staff to do the work uh, from the gulags in Saskatchewan once they're filled up? Clearly, yeah. that's <laughs> free, free labor. That's how it works. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny because I ordered a bunch of stuff from Cabela's too for reloading, and sure enough, the I had my package show up. Said, "Hey, your package is here. Come on down." So I get down there. Exactly one quarter of what I ordered was in there, and they're like, "The rest is just back ordered." I'm like, "Well, you could have told me that when I ordered yeah. because I wouldn't have ordered it from you then, but now it's just sitting in limbo for the next X number of weeks, of months." Yeah. Anyway, that's the worst timeline. So I've got one uh, sort of related to COVID and also just on our topic tonight of first aid and that is uh, Quebec nurses uh, refused mandatory overtime this weekend. Again, an article from CBC, I know of all places, but um, that the uh, Quebec nurses refused mandatory overtime just for this weekend. Uh, But funny enough, they gave the government a deadline of November 15th to figure it out or they were going to end it for good. The uh, funny part of that is November 15th is also the date that the government extended the um, vaccine mandate until and said November 15th, if you're not vaccinated, you're out. So I don't know how the government is going to kick out thousands of healthcare workers and um, 
at the same time have the union say we are not going to work any more mandatory overtime. So one of them is going to have to flinch. Uh, they've backed the government into the corner, and we'll just have to see which one, like I say, which one flinches first. Well, if they've got enough the government, <laughs> if, if they've got enough extra workers that they can afford to like punt a bunch of them out the door, then the mandatory overtime shouldn't be a thing. Then they shouldn't need to. Yeah. They, they must be. They must be fully staffed, right? Stop trying to apply logic to the government. <laughs> it has never worked in history. <laughs> yeah. Historically, it's never been a thing. <laughs> uh, so and I'm sure course, everyone... just, just on Go the ahead, other. Jeff. The other part of it, I've got another one from Global News, and it's uh, it's a bit of an older article, but um, just kind of along the COVID line and other lines is it just talks about how much money Big Pharma pays to doctors and hospitals in Canada, and it was one hundred and fifty one million dollars in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Sorry, was the last um, update on that. So, but like unlike other countries. Uh, they only have to report how much money they gave. They don't have to report who they gave it to, why they gave it to them. So, like everything so wait, else, follow the are, money. Are we hearing that there's less than positive accountability between a giant corporation Alan, stop and using the government? <laughs> I just, sorry, I just want to make sure that I understand okay. this because I've, I've never heard of this before, and I want to yeah. make sure that I understand completely. So what you're saying is that the government doesn't really want us to know where all this money comes from or where it goes. Yeah. And we don't consider it a conflict of interest that all of this unaccountable money is just being given to people who then do things yeah. that benefit that company that gave them the money. Yeah, no, that sounds totally normal and legit. Yeah. You know, well, somebody, I'll, I'll somebody... read directly from the article. It, it says about the 10 largest pharmaceutical Pseudical companies in Canada gave more than 151 million to doctors and hospitals over the last two years. So sorry, maybe it was over two years. And then the next paragraph says, but unlike the US and many European countries, Canada has no legislation compelling drug companies to reveal which healthcare provider got money or what it was for. In a country where we have a ton of regulation, you think that that would be one that's on the books? You know, some people yeah, start a podcast but again, that makes sense. To park about this, about inefficiency of government, and how much they waste money. <laughs> I think I think I know some guys. <laughs> so I'm sure everyone's heard about Kalowitz contaminated water supply. Um, it was big enough news that I think it was kind of the lead story on most uh, most media. Uh, the water supply in the capital of Nunavut was contaminated by hydrocarbons. People noticed their tap water started smelling like diesel. There was a do not drink order issued and children and pregnant women weren't even supposed to bathe in the water. There was a whole series of flights in with tens of thousands of liters of bottled water. People were getting it uh, from like the distribution trucks or just taking it out of the local river. But as the area has very limited resources, uh, things like water carriers, buckets, whatever, were all sold out. Uh, situation sounds like it's under control. They've identified the holding tank that was contaminated, uh, but they're not sure if it came from melting permafrost, freeing some old diesel spill, or melting permafrost, heaving some infrastructure, causing damage to, uh, to pipes. Regardless, uh, I'd be much happier up there having a camping water filter and some water carrying capacity of my own. The problem is the rivers are moving really slow this time of year. They've already started to like you know kind of stop. You can you can get such filters at rappertsurvival.com. 
not ones that filter also and stuff the uh not chemicals the good news is that if you can smell the diesel fuel in your water you probably don't have covid (laughs) that's everything same thing if you taste it yeah. So I'm, yeah. So I'm going to say then that some of the politicians up there maybe have COVID because apparently the locals are saying they smelt it for several days before the government acknowledged that, yeah, we might have a problem. So. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like this is a problem they've been promising to fix for a long time. I think it was even an election promise in 2016, was it not? I think it was even an election promise not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and possibly even before that as well. I mean... If he doesn't fix the water problem, how is he going to go surfing? Well, if Long Beach and Tofino was filled with diesel fuel, you know damn well it'd be fixed overnight. But yeah. <laughs> uh, should we move into what we've done lately for preps? We'll save this uh, for the other CPP. Uh, we'll save this for Monday night. Uh, so I've been getting the garage ready for winter. Uh, looking forward to it hosting our vehicles so we don't have to be brushing stuff off. Uh, I also got a nice pocket bellows. It's a little telescoping metal device. Looks like a, an old school car radio antenna so that you can blow right into part of the fire and, and get that going. So it's a, a handy little thing. Quite excited about that. Is that uh, homemade or is that like store-bought? Uh, just store-bought. Basically, it uh, turns into a 19-inch long stainless steel straw that you can kind of not stick your face right in the fire, but <laughs> get some oxygen where it needs to be. Just just don't accidentally breathe in right before you go to blow through it, though, right? You raise a good point. Get your pencil ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no mention. All right. No what, that he no. might use it for his wood gasifier? No, nope, didn't do it. I didn't say it. No, no. If fires give off, you know, a certain oh, chemical you. compound that you know some people yeah. like to mention, but <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> hey Brad, you're muted. Yep, sorry. Uh, changed my wife's back tires. Sorry, back brakes today. <clears throat> Friday night, we noticed uh, a whole lot of scraping noise in her tire, in her back, in her back brakes. And I normally don't do brakes at all, and this was the first time I've done anything to deal with brakes solo. And lo and behold, when I put everything back together, she drove around the block and she actually stopped. So I was quite happy. Uh, I did was some more cleaning. Intent? That was the desired intent. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. I want to keep her around. I was going to say, I noticed you made her test it, not you. <laughs> well, I mean, he does have insurance. So, yes. you know, just in case. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I did a whole lot more cleaning up in my yard, and uh, I cleaned up, cleaned up in my shed, getting ready for those uh, winter projects we were talking about earlier. Make sure I had room to be able to walk around and find everything I needed to do, and had a horrible, horrible yesterday with all that rain that came down that put a damper on a bunch of stuff that's about all i did so i ended up uh i guess it is for preps because water is kind of important so i ended up having a leak in my water system at my house i got up one morning and there was water in a place that it should not have been uh so i ended up uh with a leak in my expansion tank 
So only a couple minor hiccups, an extra run to Home Depot because I bought the wrong size piece that I needed to install. Um, but outside of that, I am not complaining from my first attempt at a major plumbing issue. Uh, I did have somebody come over and kind of look over my shoulder to make sure that I wasn't really doing anything I shouldn't be doing. And I'm actually uh, pretty happy how it worked out. I picked up a gently used tank and an almost brand new pump for about half the price of a brand new one. So Nice. Good job. It's not officially a project unless you have to make multiple runs at Home Depot anyways. So. Yeah. Right. Uh, for myself, and uh, I don't think this counts for the stats either, Kyle, but uh, I installed all new uh, carbon monoxide and smoke detectors throughout the house. So it's time to replace them. And uh, as I've mentioned, the last couple episodes were in the midst of renovations. So took them all down, put new ones up. Um, and uh, thanks to Alan for helping me place one of them because I wasn't quite sure where the best uh, location would be for it. So uh, they're all up everywhere. and operational now. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere is the right question. This is the right answer. There you, there you go. Does that count for a stat? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, he's slightly baited. Yeah, yeah, slightly baited, but uh, we'll give it a half, a half stop. Right. Uh, and then uh, just before the show here, found and fixed a uh, small short in the electrical system in the garage. So prevented having to use said smoke detectors for a while. What was, uh, was it popping a breaker? What was going on? No, the, the lights in the garage were just randomly flickering, like they would work for a day or so and then not. And then I actually ran out to the beer fridge to grab a beer before uh, showtime here and noticed the, the fridge wasn't running, so jiggled the uh, the cord there and uh, heard some crackling in behind the uh, electrical outlet. I was like, huh, that, that, that's not good. That's, and then the lights in the garage started flickering on and off again. I'm like, uh oh, so that's, uh, so yeah, killed the breaker. Ran out, and the um, one of the wires actually in the back of the electrical socket had worked its way out, and whoever put that outlet in to begin with stripped off way too much off of the the wire, so it was touching the inside of the junction box, and all kinds of nastiness kind of happened there. So pull it all apart, new uh, new outlet in, and everything's happy. Huh. Cool. Yeah, enjoy some home home ownership. It's good yeah. to be able to fix your yeah. own stuff. It's it's nice. Yeah, it took about ten minutes. It was great. Speaking of uh, home ownership, so on top of my, coupled with my massive amount of absenteeism from here, I had bad internet when I went on the last episode, but got the local internet guy to show up, and sure enough, we discovered what the issue was. Um, I had a 30 decibel loss going on the signal from the road to the to the router, basically. Turns out, somewhere in the middle of the one of the walls, the previous owner had put a three-way cable splitter, and that said cable splitter had developed a short. And so yeah. I was basically getting like no internet signal to the router, but that was a problem. So slight problem, yeah. Yeah, so not so much for preps per se, but hey, we get to talk about preps thanks to my better internet. That's something. Well, I mean, and now you can also download all of your extracurricular activities at a much better rate to stockpile them for later. Well, like the field manuals and everything else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it must. That's the only possibility. Field yeah, only, only one. <laughs> clearly, seriously, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and cat videos to laugh at. Well, well yeah. You need entertainment. I was just about to say that. You need entertainment. I'm not, a, I'm not an animal. Yeah, come on. Um, so I started my reloading process for the winter, and I'm going to give myself a pat in the back for having a, uh, a hoarding level of powder in the in the closet. So uh, when my three cans of powder didn't show up there, I didn't have to stop. So I just carried on, did my thing, and I'll just have to wait for the said ordered powder to show up whenever they show up. Um so that's good. Got some of that done. Minor repairs to the golf clubs uh, that had to be done. 
because uh, I had a rainy day outside, couldn't do much outside, so I thought I'd just go to the shop and work on some of those. CGN deals, of course. I uh, went to the local feed store today and picked up, well, a schwack of chicken feed and alpaca feed and everything else to the point where one of the other customers was mentioning me uh, stocking up or hoarding or something. And I was like, no, no, I only come here you know, a couple times a year, no big deal, whatever, but yeah. None of their business. Did you tell them um, that you have a podcast where you talk exclusively about hoarding materials? Pretty much. Yeah, no, you're going to get real life sucked after that one. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, I've already been sucked. It's good. You should try it sometime. Yeah, it's good for the soul. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, of course, once I get all that feed home, I had to rotate it. So, of course, I got stuff in certain storage areas. I had to use the oldest stuff first. So, I went and filled up the coops, rotated it all around. That was probably a two hour job. Uh, started a little bit of gas rotation still just to keep up and make sure it's like as new as possible. Uh, picked up some 22 ammo because finally the Cabela's had some in. It wasn't the world's best, but it was at least there, which was a good thing. Uh, picked up some more canned goods, mainly dog food at the dollar store because believe it or not, if it's marked dog food, it's a different set of rules than if it's human food. So we got some human food for the dogs and it's super cheap. And uh, yeah, I was watching a Wrangler Star video. And according to him, down the states, the cost at like places like Home Depot and everything else for these plastic HDB, HDPE2 buckets, whatever, has gone up through the roof. And uh, so I went over to the Home Depot there and picked up a bunch of buckets today and got needed some anyway. So that was good because uh, buckets make on a sure farm. You, make sure you go to uh, check out um, Firehouse Subs. You've probably got one in Victoria or if you're across in Vancouver, um, they sell their pickle buckets for like three bucks. Never seen one yet. Uh, right, and, uh, and the ooh. subs are delicious. Yeah, never they seen a firehouse. Delicious. Yeah, <laughs> never they, seen a firehouse subs in my life. They, uh, they bought us. Uh, yeah, they bought us a command trailer for my search and rescue group. Oh, they're they're fantastic. Yeah. Nothing but nothing but great things to say. And the food is fantastic. Like, yeah, and they have little fire hats you can wear in the restaurant. Oh, yeah. cool. Nice. Well, that that yeah. solves it right there. That that yeah. it it. does. Bring it home. Put it on for the wife. Yeah, a little role playing. Nothing wrong with that. So. Oh, if we weren't getting kicked off of YouTube, Facebook, we might not. He's going to make a calendar out of it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, this is yeah. what it felt like. Oh, um, and that just got the last bits for my home uh, homemade solar power boxes. And I think I'm all ready to start construction on the last one. And that's pretty much it. I now have to drink to get rid of that image out of my head. I have to drink a lot. Um, my entire focus this week has been on uh, PT and doing course prep. I've got an NFPA certification test coming up this weekend, so I've done nothing else. Um, I did, however, get my new uh, survival medicine handbook by former Prepper Podcast guest, Dr. Joe Alton. Uh, the new fourth edition is uh, large and in charge. It's uh, it's fantastic. I can't wait to get into it and um, dig into some of the some of the things I've, I've got the second edition as well so i'm uh, excited to see what he's updated and um we'll talk about that more on another episode i'm sure yeah, i ordered mine today it's coming tomorrow yeah he's coming on next week to chat with us so that'll be good oh, i thought we were going to make that a surprise no no we'll mention no, it now right. because uh, we're so, going to be giving away a copy of his book as well in the discord server so check it out there we go so we're going to be talking about this more next week when dr joe walton comes and comes on the episode on the on the podcast again i think this is his third visit to us it and is. um yeah and then we'll give away one of these books so it's uh yeah it's fantastic it's exciting i can't wait to i uh, can't wait to dive into it and i can't wait to talk to dr alton about it next weekend it's gonna be good we're right. doing the wide area mag uh, this week, Scott. Absolutely, uh, we all love learning things. It's kind of why we're here. 
while there's some very intelligent people around here, present company excluded, uh, there's lots of smart people out there with skills and talents that we want to learn from. So we want to hear from you at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, I've been thinking about building some resiliency in vehicles, and while I'd love to buy a carbureted pickup truck from the 70s uh, where you can actually fix stuff, it'd probably be way more practical and space space efficient to buy a replacement computer module for my current vehicle and just store it safely. So my question to our wider audience, uh, how many of the little other computer units do you have to have in backup so that the main computer control uh, would agree to work. Uh, I would hate to spend the money on the main computer for my uh, my vehicle and then sort of have one of the simple little peripheral units scuttle my whole plan. So someone out there knows about this stuff, please let us know. Feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Don't be intimidated. You don't have to be an expert on the air. Just tell us some things, even off air. Uh, if you have a great website or resource, just let us know. Uh, we're all here to learn stuff from like-minded people, so please share. Awesome. And before we get into the main topic, uh, Danny has got a good point. We could make a new uh, CPP calendar with that whole firehouse subs hat thing. Just, just so everybody keeps that visual. I, in their mind. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna order the Dalmatian suspenders today. I'm gonna wear I mean, the CPP I, hat. I'm gonna wear the, the hat and nothing else, and just like a little patch, a little CPP patch. I'd, I'd pay a dollar for that calendar. Oh, here we go. I, I'm <laughs> really hoping there's supply chain issues with, with the Dalmatian yeah, suspenders. There's, yeah, there's probably going to be some major supply chain issues for the calendar as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move into the main topic, shall we? Uh, so I guess first first thing, our, our usual disclaimer, um, this does not take the place of, per, of professional training. This is uh, general information. It's some good things, a lot of... Um, experience-based advice, but not a substitute for actual training. And please, please, please get this validated by somebody who knows more than I do before you go off and do it. And certainly by someone that knows more than Ian does. Well, that's all of us, isn't it? Yeah. Based on the questions he asked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the the topic we're going to talk about advanced first aid. So, in general, uh, in Ontario, there are a few levels of first aid that are beyond the the, the emergency or standard um, that that kind of deal with basics in an urban setting. So, um, for those of you who are outside of Ontario, um, I, I can't comment on what those levels are. I know Alberta has like one, two, three. I think BC has like a um, a personal level in a workplace, a couple of workplace levels. I forget the exact terminology, so um, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to pretend that this is uh, universal. This is a uh, uh, an Ontario. My this this section is, is Ontario um, standards, but you've got the one day. You know, here here's what CPR and choking is, and put a hand over bleeding, and that's it. Or and the two day that goes into a little bit more. That's um, those are your your basic and advanced first aid. Um, Above that, there are a few other levels out there. So probably the, one of the more common, two of the more common ones uh, from the Red Cross are either wilderness first aid, uh, which in, intends that help is coming, but you're 50 kilometers or more from from advanced care. 
And then they have, and then the Red Cross also has a professional responder, which is two levels: the first responder and emergency medical responder, or EMR. Um, those are like forty and eighty hours, respectively, that are a little bit more intense. Get into a few more skills. A lot of that stuff is based on being in a team setting, so it's kind of geared towards firefighters, um, industrial industrial responders, things like that. Um, I know that there are a few places, uh, Saskatchewan being one of them and Alberta being another, where they'll actually pair, uh, pair an EMR with, with a paramedic and do the driving. That's how most of the United States works. Um, they use, um, they have a different classification. They call it an EMT or an emergency medical technician. And they'll put an EMT with a paramedic and the EMT does the stepping and fetching and gets the, uh, gets the, the, uh, the tools and does the driving while the paramedic does the, does the medical intervention. So, um, whether that ever comes to Ontario or not, not up for debate at this point, not my, not my problem. Um, and then St. John Ambulance has one kind of advanced level called MFR, Medical First Responder, uh, which is approximately 40 hours, approximately equivalent to uh, the Red Cross's first responder level. Um, there's also a Marine, um, a Marine level that focuses a little bit more on kind of ongoing care. Um, all of those things are, again, kind of intended for, you have a lot of gear available, you have a team available, and you are you are advancing the uh, advancing the goal of getting that person to a hospital. That is a lot different from you are off grid out in the middle of nowhere. There is no hospital. That's that's next week's episode. <laughs> this week is this week is what what we can do now while we're waiting for an ambulance or waiting for extrication, whether that's a uh, a SAR team or a helicopter or whatever that's going to take you from where you are to where you're going. Um, one of Ian's questions, and I hope he was joking about this, was about using tampons. There's a thing that's been going around for a really long time, and I kind of want it to die off, but I, I also really enjoy getting into these debates and watching some of the, the eh, frankly, the bullshit that goes on along with it. Tampons are not good for bullet holes, period. Like, absolutely not. Um, under absolutely no circumstances will is a tampon useful for that. Um, with the, I, I'm, Gavin could get far more into the ballistics than I can, but the entry wound will probably, you know, the entry wound kind of the size of your thumb, but once it gets into your body, uh, it expands rather drastically um, and creates a much larger hole than the entry wound. So while you may be plugging the entry wound, you are not actually plugging the source of the bleeding and not actually stabilizing anything. So just don't do it. Um, go take a proper stop the bleed class. Um, you can contact me or Gavin off air. We're both instructors. We'd both be happy to set one up in Ontario, in Southern Ontario for you. Um, yeah, tampons are Northern good. Ontario have gauze. We'll travel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like, it's really not, yeah, it's really not that big a deal to, to, to go driving. It's, it's, it's not a lot even... of props sort of have a, an online thing now. You could do the, the uh, theory portion the theory online, online now. Yeah. You still have to, you know, still actually pack a wound. Um, but yeah, no, yes, don't, so, don't, use, don't use tampons. Don't so use tampons. getting out was triggering achieved. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, 100% without question. Yeah, don't do it. Because, like, I, I, I've done, like, not on a person because I'm not stupid, but, like, just to see... Um, the, the biggest problem with tampons, because it looks like it's going to work really well, 
right? Because it's like a little cylindrical thing. You just stick it in there, pull the applicator out, boom, bullet hole plug. There, there's not enough material is the biggest problem with it. So it, I have the little wound cubes that I use for practicing and teaching stop the bleed on. And like you jam almost like an entire roll of gauze that's like 10 feet long in that thing. One singular tampon has nowhere near the material density that that 10 foot roll of gauze does. Uh, you'd need like eight or nine tampons because I tried it just to see like how many of these can I pack in here to get roughly the same, you know, consistency as the gauze. Yeah. So you'd be using like the whole friggin' box for the same money. You can buy a whole box of gauze that would pack, you know, 10, 15 wounds or wrap 10 or 15 burns or all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, don't use tampons unless they're for nosebleeds or yeah. what they're actually. Nose, nosebleeds. It's great yeah. for nosebleeds. Perfect for that. Yeah. Do you have any idea Not how hard for... it was to find a picture on the internet of somebody using a tampon for a wound? <laughs> so I sent that one to you. That's all I could do. Okay, can we... I, I'd like to introduce a motion that we refire Ian. <sighs> Oh boy, there's I mean this is this is such a huge topic. I, you know what, Scott, you've got like thirty-five paragraphs in here. Why don't you start on that? <laughs> so I was chewing on thinking about the curriculum for advanced first aid, and then I looking at the definitions that you put above. And then it occurred to me that this podcast is all about people who are looking to be more self-sufficient, self-reliant. Uh, in the event that normal isn't a thing anymore. Uh, so that being said, the more knowledge we all have, the better, even if it's things we can't or shouldn't do or use uh, while better options of ambulances or hospitals are available. Um, so good advanced first aid starts with good standard first aid. So starting with basic anatomy, standard first aid, then moving to advanced first aid is just the natural progression of that learning process. Uh, I love the marine first aid approach, uh, which is very applicable in our uh, uh, SHTF scenarios where we'd all be in little boats away from help, um, you know, keeping infections to a minimum and preventing little problems from becoming big ones. Uh, I mean, again, that's a lot of the stuff we'll talk about next week. Regardless of all this, uh, training and knowledge uh, can be very helpful in our normal lives, uh, especially and most of us are interested in pursuing outdoor activities. So, uh, so I thought I'd pick a few, uh, few high points. Tourniquets. The uh, general consensus is that improvised ones don't do <laughs> the job of a purpose-built one. Uh, they have to go on uncomfortably tight. One of the best training courses I've ever done was a precursor to the Stop the Bleed courses uh, that are currently available, uh, as these guys are saying. The instructors had spray bottles full of fake blood and would keep soaking the area until you had that tourniquet absolutely cranked. You ease the uh, pressure off upstream uh, from, from that blood vessel where the wound is. So typically you're like kneeling on the patient's groin while you're cranking the tourniquet on. As soon as you Sort of like, and that's also been found lar to be largely ineffective. Well, like, the, the, like don't don't delay the other steps in order to get that uh, get that pressure on there in, in the first place. Oh, absolutely! Um, it's just kind it, of you know, so something to do while you're doing the useful parts. Yeah, um, and just cranking it. We all have uh, the the habit of tensing our muscles as the, that that tourniquet is applied. 
So when we relax afterwards, we inadvertently loosen the tourniquet, hence the, the need for that second bit of tightening. Uh, leave it on, leave it tight. It has to be uncomfortable. Don't loosen it to check anything. There's no sense in knocking loose the blood clot that the body's been working on at the site of the injury below that tourniquet and making the body start the process over with less blood. That's the part that frustrates me the most about all of this whole tourniquet stuff. And I get like, as we progress, we understand more and everything, but hearing, you know, supposed medical professionals that have more pieces of paper and more expensive pieces of paper than I do talk about like, Oh, you need to let that off every hour and you need to do this and do no. You just just crank that thing on as tight as you can and you leave it. You do not touch that until somebody that actually has that piece of paper shows up and will do it. Because then it's their responsibility and not yours anymore. And, mm-hmm. and I'd rather be alive and having nerve damage or missing a leg than dead any day. That's for sure. And the, the the big thing is is like what happens after you apply the tourniquet. And the, the reality is that that person, if, that, if they've got that level of they've got that level of hemorrhaging where, where you think it's necessary. They need to be going to the hospital right away because the only way to solve that problem is to reattach the things that have been severed to cause the bleeding. Um, the, the basics of life, air goes in and out, blood goes round and round and any deviation is bad. Yeah. If blood is not going round and round because we've, we've cut that off or we've cut it open, that needs to be, that needs to be healed and, 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 and sewn shut before, before the tourniquet can yeah. be removed, right? Before, yeah. or you have to you have to have another plan in place. So you're putting that on with the full intent that it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to suck, but it buys it buys the medical team time to 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 repair that artery, to repair the wound, and then that person stops losing their blood. Um, well, and I and I think this is one of the biggest problems with with standard first aid is they kind of neglect to explain to you that what you're doing, and this is mostly in CPR, because for bleeding, they're like, just apply pressure, which is not gonna work. But like, you're, you're prolonging the window of that person surviving so that actual medical people can show up with the tools and the knowledge to actually do something that is going to save that person's life. You're just making that, that window of time longer. Absolutely. With CPR, like very, very few people have actually been brought back to life by you pounding on their chest. It's yeah, you're you're you're, you're advancing you're, advancing the clock for them. You're pausing you're pausing the death yeah. clock. And yeah, and it, the exact same thing goes it goes with, same with bleeding. Yeah, and yeah. and this is you know when you do your standard first aid, they do the ABCs right. So airway, breathing, circulation. So C being circulation is the bleeding part of it. When you go to more advanced levels of first aid, you start leaving the whole ABC thing behind and go with March or some other ones where the M is massive hemorrhage or massive bleed. You deal with that first because you will bleed out and die and not be able to be brought back to life a lot faster than you will die from not having oxygen. So if you don't stop that bleeding thing immediately, the other things don't matter. Well, and what what we tend to get what we tend to get lost in is if i do my airway then breathing then circulation if i give that person two breaths because they're not breathing my natural inclination if i've done cpr training over the years my natural inclination is then i get on the chest and start doing compressions 
and you might just be pumping more blood. Which out. is completely useless if there's if if you're if you're just pumping blood out onto the ground. Yeah. Eventually, you run out of blood to pump, and yeah. you haven't solved anything. You've made you've made the problem. You've you've sped up the you set up the problem instead of speeding up the solution. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure I saw it in a movie where it's where the guy like slammed with his fist on the chest and said, "Come on, don't die." I mean, everything was reset. It was perfect, right? So the precordial oh, thumb, it, it, like it is a thing. It like it was actually it, it was actually taught in standard first aid up until the up until the early nineties. Um, I, I remember yeah, they also that. encourage people to smoke to have smaller babies and to drink while pregnant because it's good for you. And uh, yeah, and and if you if you get that if you happen to get the right um, um, the right arrhythmia and you hit them hard enough at the right time, you can theoretically yeah. pause the heart long enough to let it reset, which is exactly what a defibrillator does, just on a much larger and more predictable yeah. scale. Um, yeah, just like smacking a baby on the ass when it's born, right? It just absolutely. Or, 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 or hanging a baby upside down and smacking him in the ass when he's choking. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, there's a time it, when it might work. Yes. There's... There's a time where if I flap my arms hard enough, I'm going to fall slower too. But that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean I should be relying on it. That's what umbrellas are for. Duh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, one of the things that Scott wrote in here is that we write uh, TK and the time on the patient's forehead. Um, <laughs> so every yes. year, every, every year we do. Uh, uh, do first aid and BLS and, and stop the bleed uh, with the department here, and we have one. Um, we have we have an instructor that comes out, and, and this particular instructor is is a is a medic with uh, um, the local uh, ambulance service, um, who regularly takes our trauma patients to the local trauma center. And what I've heard is that allegedly the trauma team absolutely hates it when you do that. I don't know why they have such a hard on for it, but the trauma team at our local hospital apparently just despises when you do that, um, which just makes where you where would they prefer so you write it then on the testicles or something? Um, well, they would prefer they would prefer that you write the time right next to the t right next to the tourniquet. But, so but they, most commercial tourniquets actually have a spot to what, write the time on. Yeah, so exactly. There you yeah, go. So, the, so here's the, the so here's the problem yeah. with this nice white shiny thing. You mean this thing that you're putting right next to where all the blood's gushing out of? And your hands are covered in blood while you're doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> like, even the, even the, like, so that, that model that, that, and uh, the skin in the area that there. they're telling you to write on is also all covered in blood um, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. so that, that particular model, that's called a cat tourniquet or a combat yeah. application. Um, the, the, the video, like the instructional video from the manufacturer for that, even, like even they get blood all over that time strip. Oh yeah, and and the the one on the the, uh, the soft T is even worse. Um, I, this is a a canine soft T, but it's the same. So like it's just like a little off white thing on the piece of a flap somewhere. That's like this is gonna get even more covered in blood. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not gonna work. Even even with the best pens in the world, sharpies, you, it's it's not gonna work. You're still writing out. You're still writing on yeah. that forehead. Yeah. Um, I, just, entire... I found it really interesting that like every year the the this particular medic comes out and this particular medic says like don't ever do this they absolutely hate it, which just makes me want to do it so much more and like the, yeah the one, I'm gonna just the start doing it 
I'm gonna write the time on the forehead when there's not even a tourniquet, like just for like. <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 act like we the only time that I've ever actually applied uh, a, a tourniquet in the field. That's exactly what that's exactly what we did, um, and it was actually it was actually the medic like one of the responding medics that that asked like that, that did that, um, and then the the orange copter came in and said, "What the hell is this?" And then we said, "Well, we didn't have anywhere else to put it because the person was." Um, in really rough shape, and he said, "Well, I suppose that makes sense. If they don't have a forehead, you, there's probably no point in doing any of this. So here we go. Yeah, yeah. You, if they don't have a forehead, you probably if, you probably don't. You can probably save your tourniquets for the next time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe go and retake the the first aid classes again because you've missed something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's let's talk uh, needle decompression there. Uh, oh, Scott. chest needles are so much fun. Uh, if you've seen the movie Three Kings with George Clooney, there's a great example there. Lungs are this spongy consistency. They're only connected and opening uh, is to the windpipe, the trachea, uh, and they're actually held to the inside of the chest wall by suction. So if you damage the lungs, and air is escaping from the inside of the lungs into that space between the lung and the chest wall, the suction decreases the, and then the lung collapses under its own elastic force. Uh, we call this a tension pneumothorax and it really, really needs medical attention. Uh, so putting a chest needle in helps remove some of that uh, escaped air from that pleural space, the, the space between the outside of the lung and inside of the chest wall so that the uh, that, that patient's still going to end up needing a chest tube uh, in, in serious cases. It can happen by injury, uh, particularly pressure-related injuries like scuba diving. If you hold your breath on the way up and that air expands and you injure the lung from the inside, uh, it can happen from localized trauma, uh, or it can actually happen spontaneously, uh, particularly in very tall, thin people. They're just more subject to it. Uh, here we're getting another into... Another reason why being a fat guy is good. There you go. Harder to uh, kidnap, harder to stab, less prone to <laughs> spontaneous, spontaneous tension pneumothorax. Drought and famine resistant. Serious question. Serious question. I actually swear to God I won't troll you this time. Uh, sure. Tension pneumothorax, is it excess pressure or lack of pressure in the in the, in the plenum, or plural, plenum? Plural. Plural space? Plural space. Thank you. It's a little bit of each. You get okay. air moving from the lungs into this sort of hypothetical space that's supposed to basically just be vacuum. So you end up building pressure and then the elastic lungs start collapsing. So you have all this air inside your chest, but it's not inside the lungs where the gas exchange is supposed to happen. So as a result, it kind of collapses the lungs. It can push things over to one side. Um, and it's a major, major problem that will, uh, depending how bad it is, it can kill people pretty quickly. Um, it's a really invasive medical procedure. Uh, but the reason I brought it up is just understanding it uh, is kind of useful in this context. So, quite frankly, I was too yeah. distracted by Marky Mark's bad acting than to actually worry about the science behind it. So. That was a, that was an excellent movie. Do not badmouth it. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it, it is a little invasive. You are sticking a needle into the chest through the chest wall and letting some air out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there. You know, it looked for those of the you know viewing audience. I've got one in my hand right here. It's a little. I'm not going to pull the thing out because this is sterilized and you know part of my my kit. But yeah, you know. So it's, you it's essentially a 14 gauge needle that that basically yeah. creates a it creates another outlet for the air 
that gets into yeah. the space where it's not supposed to be, and so it's it's a bit of a vent. And um, those ones, yours, yeah, I mean, that has a one-way valve on it, right? Um, I believe this does. Yeah. Uh, so some of them do, some one. of them don't. Yeah. Same with chest seals. Some of them, ha- some of them have a vent, yeah. some of them don't. Well, um, and this is where you start yeah, seeing people when you do like the chest seal and you've done your standard first aid and they stick the piece of plastic or credit card and tape it on three sides and then you need to burp it and do all of that stuff. It's the same kind of thing. You're, yeah, and that's actually not even that's actually not even taught at standard first aid anymore. That's up to uh, wilderness and uh, wilderness and above now, um, because apparently that's man. When too- I did it, wilderness was way lower than standard. It's, it's been, been a while since. since I, I, yeah, because yeah. like when I did wilderness first aid, it was like an eight-hour class, and like standard first aid is now like a well, a 16. day and a half. Yeah, sixteen or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's it's fourteen hours of teaching time if you do it the Red Cross way. Yeah. So take that however you like. Um, but yes, that's that's one of those, again, that's one of those life-saving skills, especially if care is going to be delayed. Um, the uh, that, that needle decompression is is absolutely essential. Same with, yeah. same with chest sealing. Um, something, again, that's not taught at the standard first aid level, but um, yeah. should be, I, I would yeah, think. I, I, mean, for, I mean, especially a chest seal. Like it, if you have a hole in your chest cavity there's not a whole lot you can really do for it chest seals it's like you just slap that sucker on front and back if it's a penetrating all the way through and like it's so simple because you literally just take the thing and stick it over top of the wound and it helps solve so many problems and prolong life so easily yes um, that's that's very that's a, that's a good one. And there are, I mean, there are a few the brands. The ten dollars it costs to buy one of those things, like the Fox Seals, are somewhere in that ten dollar, and it's a two pack, so front and back. Like, is yep. your life not worth ten dollars? I mean, depends on how much of a communist that person is. Those aren't people, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Moving on to defibrillation. Let's, let's talk defibrillation now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the very distinctly distinctly moral discussions about whether or not somebody's worth saving. <laughs> so, no, Rose, yeah. he has no arms or legs either. Do we bother saving him? So wow, the heart has a very organized electrical system that fires all the muscle tissues in a very specific way and with specific timing. You know, like the Which timing. Is why that pump doesn't always work, right? Well, exactly. Uh, so when the heart's electrical system is interrupted, those muscle tissues can stop pumping blood effectively, in some cases, lethally. Uh, The heart just turns into this quivering bag of looks like worms running around it. So those two main lethal rhythms are called ventricular fibrillation, V-fib, and ventricular tachycardia, V-tach. So the way I describe it to people, picture a lecture hall full of people talking amongst themselves, uh, and the professor is wants to start class trying to regain order, i.e., organized activity. So the professor grabs a textbook, slams it down on the front front desk, and everyone shuts up just for a second or two. At that point, the prof can take control of the room and resume that organized activity uh, rather than the chaos of a moment prior, right? That disorganized activity, uh, the crowd talking, the defibrillator is the textbook slamming on the desk, and the professor is the normal activity taking over, uh, sort of taking the room back. So most of the uh, AED, automatic external defibrillators, are made to shock only those two 
uh, shockable rhythms uh, and have incredibly good safety margins built in. When a patient goes into a lethal rhythm, the ability of the heart to get shocked out of that rhythm and back to normal decreases with time. Uh, that is to say, the sooner the patient gets shocked, the better. And that's why they put defibrillators more and more commonly in high-risk places, venues like you know, gyms, arenas, public theaters, and quite frankly, a lot of places, just a liability thing. You know, if a dentist's office doesn't want to spend the money on a defibrillator, something happens, they kind of look stupid. Um, so a bystander start, starting CPR and using a defibrillator as soon as possible has a much greater chance of, you know, quote unquote, restarting the heart uh, than a first responder defib, which is only arriving at the scene, you know, five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes after the fact. Um, so most CPR courses, courses teach AED usage just to make them less intimidating for people. Um, interestingly, you really they can't screw it up. Yeah, they're they're the worst, the worst you can do. Spells. Is the pads in the wrong place, and it just won't shock. Yeah, like if, yeah. if it can't find the rhythm, it, it simply won't shock. Like you, you, you cannot hurt somebody with it. The worst you're doing is giving them a bit of a chest wax. Um, yeah, and, and the new ones are, I mean, almost idiot proof. I mean, they it's pictures that clearly show where to stick the things. Yeah. And they even talk to you now. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they talk, they have, a, yeah, it'll, it'll say push push the flashing orange button. And even if you're colorblind, you can't tell that it's orange. There's only one thing flashing. Yeah. The, uh, and they won't, even, they won't even dispense a shock unless there's actually a problem, too, ex right? Exactly. Yeah, like you, exactly. And, and they're, yeah, they're, you, like, you genuinely can't screw it up. Please don't be afraid of trying these things. They, the automated external defibrillator was built for firefighters. If a firefighter can, can figure it out, any average person can figure it out, even cops. <laughs> so, so just to be clear, Scott or, or Alan, so if the heart totally stops and there's no none of that rhythmy stuff going on, the AED doesn't work, or you can't use it, it won't shock. If the patient is flatlined, so like uh, the the ECG you see on the the screen on TV where they go from like a nice organized rhythm to just like instantly flatline. That's yeah. TV producers. That's not real life. In real life, it goes from an organized rhythm to a disorganized rhythm. And the disorganized rhythm is what we're shocking. We're kind of grabbing the heart by the collar and giving it a big smack across the face to get some sense into it. And then hopefully the organized rhythm will take over again and sort of resume what it's supposed to be doing. But if but you're right if there if there isn't that shockable rhythm so if it's anything other than that VTAC or VFIB so whether it's something in the atria or whether there's um, or whether there's if there's no electrical activity at all then the machine like then using the defibrillator won't help anything no you need you need a different intervention and if uh, you know if you're putting the defib pads on someone who has been dead for six hours. They're going to be asystole. The defibrillator is not going to see a shockable rhythm. They're going to see that flat line. It's not shockable, so the orange flashing button is not going to light up. Uh, that's that's how they're made to work. So, yeah, and it doesn't matter how much you press it, that it button. Measures, yeah, it measures the the heartbeat and everything, and and that's how it decides whether it's going to shock or not. So yeah, if there is nothing going on it won't know what it is so it just won't then you're, you're just you're slot you're you're quite literally beating a dead horse at that point 
Yeah. And because you, you do you do hear stories sometimes of people saying, well, they just dropped, and the second they hit the ground, they were they were dead, and there was nothing. So yep. the heart can yep. totally stop that quickly, correct? So so yep. what ends up what what will often happen there if you if you if somebody were wearing um, were wearing a heart monitor that entire time, you would likely see an arrhythmia of some kind. So whether that's a fibrillation or a tachycardia or a bradycardia or something, you would see if uh, an arrhythmia of some kind while they were still walking and talking, and then all of a sudden they collapse and it's just that the heart is no longer is no longer able to keep up. So, um, oh, I don't feel so good. Thud. Yeah, yeah. So the best thing you can do is just attach one of these things to yourself and carry it around with you every day at, at all times. Fine. And then yeah, and then you just, you just like even if you keep the even if you just have the pads yeah. on you and you keep the machine in the backpack, then. At least you're, you know you're you're advancing that. Please don't actually do that. It's, <laughs> the batteries are. I feel I feel the need to say this out loud. Please don't actually do that. Um, there are actually people with certain heart conditions, and they have an implanted defibrillator, just the way a pacemaker my, uh, works, that watches. I was going to say I, I have a I have a family member that has one of those, and it's and it's actually gone off twice. Yep. So. Yeah. So it, it reacts a whole lot faster. <laughs> It's a great system. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, they actually have drones flown by paramedics, which can deliver uh, a defibrillator right to a scene, talk two ways uh, through the drone to the caller and talk them through uh, using that defibrillator as a way of getting defibrillators onto the patient as quickly as possible. There's a proof of concept study done in Sweden, actually, uh, in sort of big urban centers where it's hard to get around, but a drone can just... Uh, arrive. It's pretty cool. How much does one of these cost? The ADs. Uh, about fifteen hundred bucks delivered. There's uh there's usually like if you want to put one in the workplace, uh, there's usually some government programs that'll help assist that, and then you get it registered on a map, and then people will know that it's there because there's other places you can look to see where's the closest one, and so on and so forth. So you can you can just do that. That's like there's user generated yeah. data for that as well. There's an app called yeah. Pulse Point, um, where they where it's it's again user generated data, but they'll you can even just upload a picture of where that defibrillator is and the ad, and the geotag. Um, and I was just looking at it, and the closest one to me is about two blocks away at a community center. Um, but it's it's a it, that's another great resource. And even if you're in the building, um, because I'm the nerd, the safety nerd that I am, uh, like when my you know my one of my kids plays hockey, we have a we have a contest between the the two kids who can find the defibrillator in the in the arena the fastest. Because it's one thing for me to say you know go you know for me to be doing CPR on the ice and say go get me the defibrillator. It's quite another for me to be able to say, go go to the concession stand, and it's on the wall next to the concession stand. Get the defibrillator and bring it to me. One of those is going to produce a much faster result. So we we kind of have we have a contest every time we go to an arena who can find the who can find the AED the fastest. And that's just part of situational awareness. They're becoming Absolutely. so common now. You know, there's probably a bunch of fire extinguishers and one mm -hmm. or two defibrillators in these buildings. So if you you pay attention to those little details. Might never need to know, but if you, if you need to know, you need to know really fast. Yep. Yeah, so I'm just looking at defibs here. Uh, question about they're listed as automatic or semi-automatic. Do you guys know the difference? Or? So technically, what we're calling an automatic is a semi-automatic. So a semi-automatic is one where you have to press the button to deliver the shock. An automatic will deliver the shock as soon as it finds it. So 
in order to simplify the terminology, an AD and an, and an SAD are, for all for all practical purposes, the same thing. Is there one's like probably black and labeled an assault AD? Yeah, well, it's super yeah, dangerous but like you, if you go, like yeah. if you if you pick if you go to um, if you go to any big box store, you go to the mall, you go to the you go to the local arena or high school or whatever, um, you see the box on the wall with the big heart and the lightning bolt through it that says AED. What you're actually getting there is a semi-automated defibrillator because you still have to press the button and make it go. You still have a decision to make to actually press the button and deliver right. the shock. So it Whereas, advises the shock, but you have to still tell it to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, that, those, that, those are the only practical yeah. differences. Very loudly, it tells you to shock yeah. the person and yeah. to stop touching the person. Yeah. Do not touch the patient. Yeah. Deliver yeah. shock. Press the flashing shock button. Shock one delivered. Continue CPR. Yeah. Um, Alan, voice work for, for you. <laughs> yeah, he's actually the one that recorded that audio. Yeah, I actually. <laughs> so I may or may not have worked for Zol at one point. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's the Zol AEDs I'm looking at right now. Shocking. They, they are very nice ones. <laughs> Come on, nobody got that? Yeah, oh, I got, got that. Just, oh. Chose to leave that one alone. <laughs> it only encourages you if we respond. I don't need encouraging. Alan, quick question. What was yep. that app? What was uh, that Pulse, app again that you were... Pulse Point. Pulse Point? Pulse Point AED. It's Pulse a, Point uh, AED, okay. On, on, my, on my phone, it's a it's kind of a yellow icon with, the, with a, like a yellow heart with the defibrillator, like the thing through it, the lightning bolt through it. If you are looking at uh, getting one of those things, um, the pads do need to be replaced every couple of years because like the glue degrades or whatever. There are um, government programs, if you have one, to replace them. Yep. Yeah. And, and just like check, check with your local uh, EMS provider. Um, whatever yeah. whatever service is doing that because they they're the ones that usually administer at least in Ontario they're the ones yeah. that usually administer that program and uh, they'll either say yes we've got you know yes you're a candidate for it they like public spaces more than like private workplaces but um, that's just again it's, the, it's based uh, on it's based on likelihood what's the price point on like a portable AED say if somebody wanted to get one and just throw it in their vehicle and have it with them. What's you the, can uh, you can spend probably as, as little as about eight hundred dollars and as much as about thirty five hundred, depending on some Yikes. of the features you want. Um, <laughs> I would say fifteen hundred is is like the last the last few that I sold. And again, full disclaimer, um, this is part of what I do for a living. Uh, the last few that I've sold have been in the in the fifteen hundred dollar range. Yeah. So we, so we what Alan's saying is, you have to wait until the the shit actually hits the fan. Use the app, go get one, and just scrounge as required. I yeah. am not saying that at all. You didn't say that, not me. Yeah, we my search and rescue group has several of them, and we usually keep one at our command post, and then there's usually one in a backpack roaming around the event as well. So they're not even that heavy. No, they're not. No, they're actually they're pretty tiny. They yeah. surprisingly small. No, the the Phil, the Philips ones in particular are exceptionally small, yeah. and the Zoll ones have a bigger battery and a longer life. And uh, most of them most of them have a guarantee for five years. Uh, and most suppliers yeah. will um, will uh, provide pads for five years. So when you buy it, yeah. so if if you've got you know they you know they might have a the the pads might have two years on them, but you just send them you just send them back and get a new one. Or if you use it, you, they'll actually send you a complete replacement unit. You send them the old one, they'll refurbish it and send it back to you because they like if you if you if it gets used, it needs to be serviced. Yeah. They are surprisingly yeah. you can't just recharge the battery. No. 
Well, I get my turn, finally? Yeah, what you got? All right, cool. Uh, so first of all, I put a uh, link to the news article in the commentary for the YouTube. And basically, it was didn't have as much pizzazz as the other news articles today, but it's only two days old. And it's a global news article from Victoria, of all places. Now, this is during normal times without some sort of you know COVID peak happening or anything else. Um, man waited on the phone for 10 minutes, couldn't get through to 911, so he just drove himself to the hospital. And it was for something relatively serious. It wasn't, you know, wasn't life-threatening per se. But anyways, uh, what I'm trying to get at is that normal times, ambulances are already in short supply and staff and you know, everything else. So obviously, the logistical train is already having a problem right now during normal times. Can you imagine what it would be like in bad times? And that's why I'm kind of glad we actually did this program despite my shit-talking you. So... Um, yeah, actually, I got a couple questions right off the bat. So because we've got a, a worldwide disease going on right now that requires good breathing, and I'm just saying, so for example, you break out your pulse oximeter and you, you have it hooked up to a guy like this, and all of a sudden you discover that the guy's getting a little low on oxygen. Uh, the one thing I was trying to think of that would actually come into play in a situation that we're facing right now is uh, I don't really have a bottle of O2 hanging around to you know kind of keep the guy from going over the deep end. Such a uh, yeah, and because not it's an accelerant for one, and of course you have to get it replaced at a welding shop or something like that. Or not a welding yeah, shop. No, you don't want oxygen, oxygen for that. But I'm just saying, kind of dangerous. You know, yeah, I'm just saying, and yeah, so bad idea. So I was actually looking at those like those old people style portable oxygen concentrators that actually aren't like portable Absolutely. oxygen. They just yeah. Yep. So I was thinking, could you actually use a portable oxygen concentrator as an alternative to having like a bottle of O2 with like you know ten liters percent going to the nose? Over over yeah. and over. Um, the the challenge with those is that they they um, they don't produce uh, like life saving amounts of oxygen. They produce life enhancing amounts of oxygen. Okay. So you would you would want to be you're planning on administering oxygen in any way? Maybe go take the class on how to do that because there's some things that could go wrong. Yeah, there's definitely some there's definitely some nuance to it, um, and those those concentrators like. I suppose there's probably a way you could rig that concentrator to refill a bottle for higher flow demand, mm-hmm. but it's it's all it's all about the flow rate, so the number of liters per minute that you're actually flowing oxygen into that person, um, based on their needs, and so the concentrator has a has a much lower capacity to to deliver oxygen. So it can it might be able to deliver like four to six liters a minute. And somebody who's having a breathing emergency might need, you know, 15 liters a minute. Yeah. At least and the concentrator just wouldn't, it would, it would definitely help take the edge off, but it, it's more intended for uh, chronic users. So somebody who, somebody who's got a, like a COPD or an emphysema where mm-hmm. they need oxygen, but they need, they need a little bit of help, not, not like a life-saving uh, volume. So um, the, the 21% oxygen in room air isn't quite enough for them. They need a little top up just to tilt the scale in their favor a bit. So, you know, 24, 28%, something like that, just to nudge them over. Those concentrators max out about 40% if, if they're kind of going full tilt. Cool. And they're electrically driven, right? There's no other parts required, just, just power. Just power. And a lot of, a lot of them have a battery to them. Um, I spent a couple of days when, uh, when the power went out and, you know, 20 some odd years ago or not quite 20 years ago in 2003, the power went out. We were out of power for some places for a couple of weeks. A lot of what I did for that time was drive around and recharge batteries with a generator. Hmm. So the, those who had, those who had chosen to request help, um, there's now a, a list that you can get on. If so, if you have home oxygen, you can 
register with the local ambulance service and say so that they know where you are so that in the event that there is a long-term power outage we can go to you and top up your oxygen like top up your, your systems rather than you having to call and say I'm now out of oxygen and it's an emergency we can prevent that by having that and it's it's one of those totally voluntary things it's not a it's not a mandatory list because I know how much we love our names being on lists yeah, around here but registration leads to confiscation <laughs> your, your lungs will not be confiscated um, but it's but it's it's it, it speeds up the process of knowing knowing where to go right where that where the high priority uh, the highest priority people are going to be because if you don't have if you can't breathe nothing else matters what was it the lung association that was their tagline for a lot of years asthma yeah asthma association yeah so they, and, they, and they got it right right if you if you can't breathe if you know everybody every, everybody close like close your mouth and plug one nostril and take a few deep breaths it's really uncomfortable after after a couple of moments um, so if we can prevent that that's what that's what we that's what you can do by having that having your your information readily available um, and having backup supplies because two is one and one is none. Yeah, so wow. just get some oxygen tanks. Yep. Just keep them away from your home. And not next to the, the wood stove or anything. Yeah, no, definitely not next not. to things that create heat. The generator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, don't, uh, don't store it anywhere near anything that's dangerous. Cool. Uh, next question, uh, suture courses. I guess it's a three-part question. Right off the bat, um, assuming there's a doctor somewhere, you know, even if it's two days away, uh, I guess you'd be making things worse by doing sutures, but is there a value in taking a suture course, getting sutures, uh, like the actual materials on hand and everything else it is? If so, is there a way to get uh, suture training? Well, most, uh, if, if a wound needs suturing, uh, it needs it kind of in a timely fashion. If it's been more than about 12 hours, it starts healing and it doesn't, you know, if the two edges are healing independently as opposed to healing to each other, uh, it's not going to heal as well. You're going to sort of get a big gaping scar there. So the, the concept is uh, is more time sensitive. I can't speak to specific suture courses, uh, but YouTube. I know uh, <laughs> YouTube. There's, yeah, there's, but there's there's I'm not I'm not kidding. There's there's thousands of videos on how to do it. Um, you can order the practice pad on Amazon. I think it's about seventeen bucks, and I think you can even order suture kits on Amazon. And quite frankly, a, a lot of for medical professionals, practice suturing on um, like a turkey thigh or bananas, right? Where you yeah. sort of have diff different layers of skin to work through. And yeah, um, you make bananas. Pig's feet at the grocery store are excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but yes, I'm self-taught for suturing. Um, it's one of those things that I want to know how to do so that if I ever need to do it, I can do it, but again, much like a decompression needle, while I know how to use it, I'd rather never have to use that. But if the guy's going to be dead anyways, or I'm going to be dead anyways, and there's no one with a higher level of training around, let's give it a shot. Let's give her, yeah. Let's um, let's give so, her. So for 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 skin wounds, you don't need to suture. The advantage of suturing is that it will minimize the scar which will also help prevent infection speed up healing. You can, anything that will hold the edges of those that wound together, so things like butterfly butterfly dressings or Steri-Strips, will do the same job of holding, like it'll hold the skin together and then you can cover it up, keep it from getting infected. Super glue for really small things. There's super glue, yeah, super glue for small stuff. There's those new like zip tie ones where you stick it on one side and the other and pull it and it just sort of snugs it all up. Yeah. Those things are really cool too. 
Uh, but next time you're in the area, Ian, I will gladly teach you how to suture. It's actually very simple. Actually, I'm um, deadly curious about that for sure. You, you can get like you can get super complicated and do like the whole running thing, but honestly, if you know like the most basic, simple single stitch, that that's all you need to know. Cool. We'll we'll get Carmen on to because uh, al just... alternatively, well, alternatively, yeah. I was try and trigger Alan again by mentioning the veterinary stapler, but I didn't know. No, no. As long as you're not trying to use it on your face, you're fine. I, I don't. Okay. I have no objection to the veterinary stapler. Just it, it's it, it's a little bit more painful. That's all. Yeah, and actually, yeah. Re removing them I think would be a bit of a pain in the ass. But yes, well, or having had whatever many, 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 many medical staples removed from my back and/or shoulder, I can tell you it is not fun. Right. Yeah, I, I would. I would rather use. Um, I would rather use sutures than staples. But yeah. You know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a suture kit can be super simple. Like, all you really need is, um, I'm looking at mine right here, uh, a curved set of forceps, like the, the locking ones, so that you can clip your needle to it and stick that through the yeah. skin. And then a pair of tweezers, because you're actually going to use those tweezers to pinch the edges of the wound and turn them up and out so that you can just stick the thing right through it. Uh, and... And then obviously the sutures themselves, and then you know a pair of scissors. That's that's it. Hmm. Yep, it, it's um, not different it, it's types not of materials. Yeah, the, I think okay. the worst the, the the thing that gets that that sucks the most about that right if you is when you go to the hospital and it's a doctor that tries to do it because that really should be a nursing task, but doctors try to get involved in it, and yeah. that's when things start to go awry. Yeah. Um, there's any recommendations on places to get a good high quality suture kit? I mean, check with your local dental supply. Yeah, any dental supply. Any supplier. any medical supply place will have them. I mean, the problem is, is like unless it's been you know through an autoclave and sealed, it's not going to be sterile. So it really doesn't matter at that point. Like the sutures are going to come packaged and sterile but like if your tools aren't packaged in that stuff they're not going to be sterile so really doesn't matter like you there's there's a kit on amazon for 40 bucks yeah i mean that's that's where i got all of mine it's off of amazon yeah. because and like, there's a kit for 30 and there's it, like there's and there's practice kits yeah. and the, the reality is is that like it sits in this little thing which isn't sealed so it's not sterile so i don't I don't care if it's high quality or low quality because as long as the sutures themselves are good, that's the important part. The, the rest of it's just allowing you to hold on to the stuff and push it through the skin. And you like you can even like, get those like those locking those locking forceps. Yeah. Um, you get you get those at your local uh, at your local bass hemostats or whatever they call them. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah, they're they're generally like yeah. they're, they used to be called Kelly forceps, but um, yeah. It's, different they're, names but yeah i just have yeah. a, I, I like the little ones that the really yep. long ones are not good for me because sausage fingers and you know i like the little ones i more but you can like you can even get those it, at bass pro or or your local or even canadian tire sells those or like um, almost any flea market in the world yeah, has that, yeah that, absolutely that weird um, medical fly, fly tires place. use them like absolutely yeah. so look, those exist everywhere um just make sure that they're that they're sterilized before you try it before they come into skin contact yeah, that's fair. So, can I channel my uh, my Rambo three moment and uh, talk about cauterization for a second? 
Um, Only if you're going to pour gunpowder in it. And light well, it. I'm going to pour gunpowder in it and like, light it off and make sure you don't have this. Actually, my real question is, is cauterization still a thing, or do they just say, that's just dumb, let's just... Uh, well, I had, I had both my nostrils cauterized when I was a kid. Now, that's going yeah. back almost 30 years. Um, we've kind of replaced cauterization with hemostatic dressings, like um, Quick Clot. Yeah. Okay. Or Sealox or... Don't, don't, don't use the powder. Don't use the powder, but like the but the but the no. gauze it, it does it does a lot of the same yeah. thing. Um, yeah, pre-impregnated gauze, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The really good stuff has a little thin metal wire running through it, so when you go into the hospital and they X-ray you, if they forgot it inside, they'll see it and pull it out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Do like well, I guess it's like if a guy's going to die and you only have the powder, then use the powder. But if you're going to be buying something, don't buy the powder. It ends up blowing everywhere. It gets into places that it shouldn't, which is not good for you. Uh, question I had actually from my family: uh, EpiPens. So you're more than fifty kilometers away, more than a couple days away. Allergic reaction happens. Uh, use your EpiPen. That's only good for about ten minutes. Uh, is there a problem with using more than one? No. Nope. No. Nope. You can kind of use that's, it sequentially. That's, that's that's part and that's part of the uh, part of the training is 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 again two is one one is none use the use the next one 10 minutes later but the idea is that it buys time for the for the antihistamines to kick in so you're taking that and like you're using the epipen and then if you're not going straight to the hospital you're taking benadryl to go with it mm -hmm. and they were talking about uh, benadryl versus allegra just taking allegra pill because i think benadryl had some side effects now as well they're talking about there's side effects to everything yeah fair enough it just makes you sleepy yeah it's fine Cool. I, uh, I would I would go for something non drowsy so that I can yeah. better assess your level of responsiveness. So back to the idea of tourniquets and stuff like that. So a guy's bleeding out. So say he's a little bit low on low on fluids. Uh, at what point in your first aid training does like IV replacement fluids come in, like saline and or anything else you have access to? That's kind of a challenging one. There's a couple of schools of thought. If you're pouring in saline, you're just diluting the clotting factors that are there. You're diluting the blood carry, the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood that's there. So you're kind of artificially increasing the blood pressure, but it's not necessarily helping the patient. You're so, also lowering their body temperature. Yeah, you're putting cold, cold water into them, which doesn't necessarily help. So the so. The, the H in the March in the March uh, assessment is hypothermia. Yeah. So if your if your first aid kit doesn't have those like hand warmer things and a reflective blanket, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, so the, the short answer is no. If they're losing a lot of blood, they need, to, they need to stay hydrated, but you need to stop the bleeding first. And they need to rehydrate naturally and produce, produce fresh blood on their own. So, so okay. you need, I need to, uh, like, we build, we build new blood all the damn time, right? Like, I go and donate blood. Um, I lose, I lose a pint as I, I lose a pint and I've got it built back within an hour because I've got, um, I've replaced my electrolytes and I'm, and I'm drinking lots of water. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just if you don't, if you're and a couple of bottles of water on you and go, here you go. Pretty much. Yep. Cool. Uh, yeah. back to the Narcan usage. I think we covered it briefly on the uh, last first aid episode, but, um, I guess kind of want to go a little bit of a deep dive on this one. Um, simply the fact is that nobody really talks about like, what is Narcan actually counteract? Is it just fentanyl? Is it just meth? Is it carfentanil? Like, is it all of the above? So What's... not meth. Okay. So any anything that's anything that's opiate based. So opiate so opium based. Right. That's, so that's your morphine and lower grades, mm -hmm. which includes right. which includes fentanyl. So when you have a prescription for it, it's called morphine. When you don't, it's called heroin. Yeah. And when it's super concentrated, it's called fentanyl. 
So opioids aren't inherently toxic. They just relax you so much you forget to breathe. So what Narcan or naloxone does is it acts to reverse that overdose by blocking the opioid receptor in the, in the body. Um, that was that your body goes, Oh yeah, breathe. Um, <laughs> they have kits available, yeah. most pharmacies just to deal with this public health crisis, right? It gets fired in the nostril, just the way Dristan or Rotravin does. It's absorbed by the blood vessels. You have a very vascular, uh, anyone who's had a nosebleed knows how vascular your nose is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, Basically, it acts, it's a little umbrella, it covers that receptor. So anything that acts on the opioid receptor is considered an opioid. The morphine, the fentanyl, heroin, carfentanil, uh, sort of all these derivatives, they're opioids because they act on the opioid receptor. So Narcan acts on the opioid receptor. Different things um, have different antidotes. You know, if you have an organophosphate poisoning, it deals, you know, it's a different Different poison, different antidote. Yeah. So if you if you look at it, so when they take the drug, just picture like a you know a, a stoop somewhere, and there's a bunch of people milling about. That's the drug. And then you take the Narcan, and then that somebody coming out and shooing those people away for a little while. Eventually, they come back. So it, it's not like you take it and then you're just like instantly sober and fine. It lasts for a little while, and then the drug kind of starts working again, and you'll start overdosing all over again. Sounds like or, a party. or your body has processed it to a point where you're where you're now you're, you're yeah. high instead of overdosed. Or, yes, or, sorry. The, the 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 term we're, we're, we've been instructed to use now is uh, um, um, overused. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't neutralize the drug so that it's gone. It just kind of gets them over the hump again, like most things, to prolong that window where somebody that has like the whole breathing thing and everything can come and give them the, the care that they need. Um, so it's kind of like an EpiPen. Yeah. Yeah. Same concept. And if you ever have to g- give it to somebody, um, it, it, give it to them and then get Step the back. heck out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they had a punching range. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, you've just ruined their high. And they probably had to work really hard to get that stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the, the newer way is the the nasal spray. Um, you can still get the injectable one. I kind of like the injectable one personally. Versus I have the, the nasal the spray from the pharmacy. The nasal spray is easier. You can stick it up their nose and squeeze it. I, I'm just kind of the whole... If they're really not breathing all that well, how well is it going to circulate and everything up the nose? Well, that's that's where a good sternal rub will help, and they will because uh, yeah, you, you you definitely have to stimulate their breathing, um, but it's also right. It's also absorbed. Yeah, the intranasal absorption is actually is through the bloodstream, not through, um, not through a breath. So yeah, your your nose is very vascular because it has to heat up cold air that you're breathing in so that your lungs don't get frostbite. Yeah, so, which is why people snort drugs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> which ends up it's the cause and solution. It's the cause the cause and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah. Snorting things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah well, it's I kind of just like the other one because I can kind of just stick it in and just get the heck out of the way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it comes in two flavors. Important thing is just get the heck out of the way. And don't yeah, 
Yeah. I wish they actually had them more often around here. There's absolutely none in BC. I know you guys have them at pretty much every drugstore there. There's just none available out here. Surprise, surprise, I guess. But anyway. Do you need me to mail you some? Yeah, yeah, I can just go yeah. get some at Shoppers. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. That's for sure. Um, okay, so after 12 hours, you guys said that the sutures, uh, you know, you need to have some, the, the skin back together before it starts healing and stuff. What about yep. setting bones? Uh, long-term emergency, you're, you're days away from help, uh, break a bone. Set it and forget it. So you're gonna you can put it and put it in neutral position. You probably have to apply some traction to it. Yeah. To align the ends. Now I'm going. <laughs> please yeah. again. Please don't actually do this unless no. you don't have another yeah. choice. Um, but essentially, the way you would do that is you you get your splint set up. You would duct tape it to the the proximal, so the the like the closer to the body side of the of the of the break. So if we're talking like a forearm, for example, or a wrist, you go up like towards the elbow and you would duct tape it in place so it can't move anywhere. And then you would apply some traction to that to, to, to put it into the into the place where it needs to be. And then you would duct tape it at the, the distal end, so on the, on the injured end. And the idea is that it's going to create that separation and not let the ends of the bone rub together because you don't want that. That's where it's going to chip and do, and do really nasty damage. Um, and this is where having some opiates on hand would probably yeah. Help. This is the, yeah. You you definitely want to you you definitely want this to be done under under a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of sedation. So um, Josh is asking in the chat, are we are we considering traction? I'm talking about creating traction essentially. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna hold one spot in place. You're gonna create some traction and then hold it in place along uh, along a uh, a splint that will allow that traction to stay in place. And then you're 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 stuck in that position for several weeks. So yeah. in a in a clinical setting, you're gonna get you're gonna it's gonna get set in place. You're gonna get the the pins and the pins and screws and plates and whatever to hold it still. And then you'd still be in a cast for two months. Um, in this case, it'd probably take a whole lot longer because you don't have the things to hold the bone yeah. in place. This is an imperfect solution. Um, really, really, really important if you're gonna do this before and after you. Um, before and after you do the, the any movement or any stabilization or mobilization of the bone, check the distal pulse. So that's the pulse right at the, like at your fingertips or at your toes. Make sure that you have good circulation there before and after. Yeah. Because if you if you move something and you cut off circulation, then you're you're no longer getting oxygenated blood to the to the to the to the extremity, and bad things are going on. Which is also a great way to check and make sure that your tourniquet is working. Yes. So if you had to improvise and use something that is less than ideal, check and see what the pulse is doing below that. If you can still feel it and feel it strongly, maybe you need to figure something else out. Yeah. If you feel it and it's, it's weak, that could be also a bad sign. <laughs> but like, you know, just... Crank that thing on there, but yeah, knowing yep. how to to feel a pulse, especially below an area, is yeah, it's good. Yeah, and, and you can do the you can do the nail bed test, right? So everybody can yeah. do this to yourselves, right? You if you push down push down on your fingernail, it kind of turns white, and then when you let your finger when you let it go, it'll go back to its normal color within a couple of seconds. Um, if it doesn't yeah. return back to its normal color, or if your fingernails are if the fingernails are starting to look blue. Um, that's a sign of reduced or missing circulation. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one of the guys from the Discord group uh, mentioned uh, he wanted to talk about potential use or maybe, I guess, case use for a catheter. 
in the first aid kit? Um, so the way I read that question was so so a catheter is is a pretty broad term, um, but technically speaking, again the way I kind of I kind of read that question was like a catheter is what's left after you start an IV and you pull out the sharp. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, we call it an IV catheter. It's an, not, an IV, it's an not IV the catheter. urinary catheter. Catheter just kind of means a tube. Yeah. yeah. So it, so it just it just means a tube that that, that that goes inside the body. And there's there's a few there's a, the way I read that yeah. question was specifically relating to IV fluids, uh, and we've kind of covered that already. Um, beyond that, roll over and pee. There's you know we're we're not like, yeah. putting in, putting in a foley isn't uh, isn't something that that I would ever think is a useful skill in the field. Fair enough. Cool. Well, I mean, I guess you could just pinch it off, right? And then it yeah, leave no trace, right? You yeah, I guess. Bring it into <laughs> a bottle somewhere. Okay. If you're doing some weird clandestine off where you can't leave anything, you could just, you know, do that. But... All right. I, I suppose. Last yeah, question I had. Yeah. So everybody's been talking about tourniquets because everybody likes to talk about the tactical stuff and everything else but what's the most overlooked medical preps that people should have been, have, have on hand but don't like uh, crutches or that type of thing uh, a little pen with a pupil gauge like a pen light yep and, and normally uh, as one of the tactical guys all of the lumens is what you want you don't want that with one of these it, this, nope. if it's too bright <laughs> it's not going to work very good for you and a, um, and a, a notepad. Yeah, and, 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 and I would say I would say the notepad is probably the most important thing. So being able to monitor yeah. a person's progression, like yeah. monitor their vital signs yeah. as they go. Um, right in the rain makes a great EMS one that's got all of the things there. So like when you're under stress, you're going to forget a bunch of stuff. It, it prompts you by having the things saying, oh, what's the pulse? What's yeah. the oxygen saturation? What's the that you can write those things down, which also like if the pulse oximeter is kind of a handy thing, so that you don't have to sit there and like count their pulse. It'll tell you what that is because like you kind of want to know what the oxygen saturation, especially if you're going to be giving them O2. That's why I bought a smartwatch. Yeah, which is you know they're they're you know maybe accurate within ten percent most of the time. Yeah. Um, but the idea, the, the specifically being able to monitor whether somebody's progressing, right? They're getting better or regressing. They're getting worse based on what you're doing. Because um, yeah. if they're getting worse, then obviously what you're doing isn't working. You need to change your plan. But if they're getting better, then just keep it up. And yeah. the only way to know that is to is to monitor vital monitor vital signs and yeah. and symptom and signs and symptoms at set intervals. So um, in a in a short-term emergency, right, where maybe an hour waiting for, for an ambulance, if somebody's reasonably stable, you might do two or three sets of vitals. If we're talking about a long-term, right, where maybe two or three days, uh, we're waiting for waiting for extraction, we're in the middle of, you know, Baffin yeah. Island, and it's going to take some time to get out, you might be doing vitals every hour instead. And um, yeah. that timeline is, is really dependent um, on what that person's condition is. So if they're if they're saying that they're breathing okay, then that's great. I probably don't have to worry about that. But if they're yeah. saying that their breathing is a little bit labored, their oxygen saturation is right now it's at you know ninety five, but then in fifteen minutes it's at ninety three, and then in an hour it's at like ninety. Then we we can we can see that they're regressing, things are getting worse, and we need to intervene with that a little more actively. But without that information, you're just guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. Um 
if you're going out in a group somewhere with a bunch of people uh having some way to identify because like mash casualty events is a thing that happens and that's probably like definitely in the advanced medical care thing is mm -hmm. handling more than one person at a time uh some way to identify so I, I have a card that i keep in my first aid kit um you know and in my my trauma kit i've got several you know and then you can prioritize visually it's nice and easy this is one of the military ones so it's got a nice big one in red so you know like this is a priority one this guy needs to get seen immediately and then the, you know the two and a three or whatever you, you got to have some way of of doing that with you and your group that everybody recognizes and you, you need to know what your resources are because at some point you're going to need to make a um, not an emotional decision the logical one yeah and you know you've only got X number of resources and you've got X number of casualties with these different things how do I allocate those resources in the way that saves the most number of people do I allocate them all to one guy that's close to death and, you know, and nobody else gets anything? Or do I save these three people that have a better chance? So. Well, it just depends if I'm the guy that's really hurt. Then, yeah, all resources yeah. go to me, obviously. Well, I, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, that can make a big, like, if you're the medic. Then, yeah. then that, cha yeah. that changes your that changes your decision. Yeah. Like just just like if it's if it's the guy that has the uh, the guy that has the truck keys in his pocket, you probably yeah. want to make sure that he's the one that doesn't get lost. Yeah. Shades of one second after though with the triage. Eh? Yeah. No, but it, but it, like it, it's and and that's like that could be an episode unto itself, right? Like, like oh yeah, um, I, I mean mu multiple casualty multiple casualty incidents the, and and the, triage, the triage tabletop exercises are. Like that's that's a full weekend. They're course. very fun because you come up with ridiculous scenarios, but they're 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 so complex and and nobody's got the same answer, right? Like you'll you'll go through and you go, well, this and this and this and this and this, and like everyone's just a little like the ones that are obviously, you know, yeah, this guy's fine, or yeah, this guy's just yeah. like or easy. It's the it's the ones in the middle, right? Those are the hard ones where it's like, where does this person sit on this spectrum of casualties? Which is a great time. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun to do. Um, definitely outside the scope of a podcast that we're now an hour and thirty five minutes into. But it's definitely, I think, something you need to to consider when you're talking about advanced medical care because absolutely. Yeah, like, it's it's probably the hardest part of all of this is deciding who gets care and who doesn't. Right now, yeah. Time for podcast challenge. Sure, I think so. Jeff, sure. So, uh, and this would uh, apply to me for sure. I just have my basic, absolute low level first aid CPR. So, uh, step up your first aid knowledge at least one level. Or uh, take a refresher course. And if you'd like information on that, find me on the podcast, uh, either the, the Discord group or uh, send me an email. I can uh, hook you up with some links. 
I have a deal of the week. Um, thanks to Better Andrew again for the Discord for the uh, the tip. Uh, once again, Princess Auto, our go-to for uh, prepper supplies, it seems, has clean flow fuel stabilizer, like stable, same idea, at three ninety nine for a bottle. It's almost half price. Nice, cool. Yeah. And if you happen to be on the Discord, he plopped a little uh, video uh, as well with that, where somebody did a test on fuel stabilizer with ethanol, and it's uh, it's worth a look at. You'd be, you'd be surprised, actually. Cool. Well, let's get into some shout-outs. So I got a quick shout-out uh, mentioning the Discord. Just a, a quick shout-out to everybody who's joined and is actively sharing uh, information. So uh, the Discord's been out for about a week now. And uh, we're up to 60 members. And uh, there's been all kinds of good chat in there and uh, all kinds of good information. I even threw a, a quick getaway in there to... Or get away, give away <laughs> uh, the test out and uh, giving out a couple of 18 and one little multi tool wallet card things. So, a couple of winners of those I got to mail out. But, uh, I have one of those, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're lucky thanks. if you won one. Yeah, thanks everyone for, for joining and sharing all your information because it's been fantastic to watch this grow in, in such a rapid succession in just a week. So, yeah, it's been a really good back everybody. and forth with a lot of the guys. They, uh, they've been really chatty, which is good. Um, I got to show up for the Island Mentor for the extra set of hands with logistics. He's been very helpful lately and uh, actually uh, gave me a, a huge uh, hand when I was uh, actually away from the house for a week. So thank you very much. So that's where you were. That's why you couldn't be bothered to show up for the show. Gotcha. Well, hmm. that and other reasons. But anyway. <laughs> And I'll throw a shout out to my friend Rob for his help and guidance with my uh, plumbing issue. Um, yeah, things worked out well, and I'm uh, I'm happy. So awesome! As long as you're happy, Jeff, that's what really counts in my life. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Still not blah, a hand blah, operator, blah. though. <laughs> you know, you don't actually need a license to use one; just use one legally. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the, the license only matters oh, if you get caught. Do we yeah. want to get kicked off Facebook tonight or not? I'm just saying. Nothing is stopping you from operating one. Except the law. Yeah. Well, operate the parody cage and it'll never go yeah, anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or, during, or during an emergency, which is exactly. also authorized. Yeah. And we're in a state, of emergency, in a state right of emergency right now. Oh, this is terrible Ooh. advice. Don't listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Don't. Just don't. That's an interesting quote. We'll have to discuss this off air. Uh, yeah, I think we will. Yes, but again, terrible advice. Don't don't transmit unless you're licensed. Yeah, ter- terrible. Just listen. <laughs> moving on. Just, just yeah. listen. Mo- moving on. Email and iTunes reviews. So, uh, uh, Darren G uh, got some lids uh, as a part of the podcast challenge for uh, for canning. So, awesome. Right very nice. They they weren't easy to track down for a while there. So glad you were able to find some. Well done. And we'd, lo- we'd love to see the final results. Uh, drop it in the Discord, send us an email with it. Love to see what you can. Uh, John uh, sent us multiple emails. The first one this week was uh, says, have y'all reviewed the Canadian-issued MRE? Which uh, either called IMPs, aren't they, or something like that here? Uh, yeah. It definitely is uh, prepper applications, but it appears to have the best MRE spoon in the world. It does. Um, Can't confirm. I, I, have I eaten them? Yes. Have we reviewed them? No. Would you so, want to? <laughs> no. So M- MREs are, I mean, MREs are good 
good when you need a lot of calories really quickly and you don't care what it tastes like, nor do you care about the specific nutritional value. Over more than about two or three days, I, I, most people that I know uh, can't stomach them for any longer than that. It's, um, it's, it's not healthy food. Don't plan on that. <laughs> The, um, It'll bridge the, gap. That's about that. The, the, the Canadian ones do have a really good spoon, and some of them are interesting, like the poutine. My favorite thing about the Canadian ones is that it comes in like the American ones are all like plastic bag and like sealed from the yellow. The Canadian one comes in like a brown paper bag, like your mom packed you a lunch, and that's my favorite part about the whole thing. <laughs> And like anytime oh, okay. I've shown them to my American friends, it's just like, yeah, it's just like cube that sits there. So they pack a lot better than the American ones. But yeah, it looks like your mom just packed you a sack lunch. So yeah. here, here you go, honey. Have fun going here, here off. Here you go, war. sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. And they're really pricey too. I mean, that's that's the other problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, some I, of them are some of the Canadian ones though are really good. Yeah. Um, also from John, another email. What is our the maple seed events that we often mention from context, they appear to be a shooting competition, but we've never actually explained it. Um, I forget which episode it is, but we've gone into a little bit of detail about this before. Um, it's a, it's a marksmanship course. It's, so it's not really a, um, it's not really a competition per se, but well, it's it an is individual a, one. Cause you can achieve your maple seed patch. Yeah, which which is uh, it's a it's a certificate of recognition or a certificate yeah. of competency that um, oh who didn't mute their phone um, it's a certificate of competency essentially that that, that penalty. gives you <laughs> yeah you have to have to turn your shirt your t shirt in um, it, it it gives you an opportunity to shoot under the guidance of somebody who is more experienced. Um, yeah. somebody who can follow a program to get you to shooting safely yeah. and accurately. Um, and it's an opportunity to go out and, yeah. and meet other people who are also doing the same thing. With yeah. with a little bit of time pressure. And it, it's based originally upon the American version, which was called the Appleseed, of course. Program. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a day-long program compared to the U.S. one that's two days because they throw in a lot of, like, mythical stories about Johnny Appleseed, hence the name. Uh, but it's it's great for learning the fundamentals of marksmanship. Yeah, a little outdated yeah, it's, it's, some of the stuff, but the the fundamentals are there and super important if you are into target shooting of any kind. So highly recommend. Cool. All right. Also got one. Uh, the last one from John. He actually just sent a link to a Reddit uh, article showing a Tiger tank in World War II being used for uh, for training purposes, powered by a wood gasifier. So I figured Scott would like that. Heart emoji. Not, heart not, emoji. Not, pictured, not, not pictured in that is the CO detector that was inside. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one hour, 42 minutes, and nine seconds. I was going, I was going for as far, as far in as I possibly could. <laughs> that is a new record. But what's powering that? The, the gasifier. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's 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 a, it's a perpetual. It's the cause and solution. Yeah, it's the cause and solution. <laughs> this seems to be our theme for the evening. <laughs> so we do have a long uh, one from my another listener, but we'll get about that one next week because it's a pretty long yeah. uh, long article. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good long email. It's going to take some time to dissect, so we will uh, we'll hopefully get that one to that one next well, week. Yeah, I think I think that's a good that's a good idea. Yeah. But uh, with that, and finally mentioning uh, carbon monoxide, I'll bring uh, episode 134 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or, of course, your favorite podcast app. 
Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we do record these shows for now live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we're going live. If you want to get at me directly, you can find me either in the Discord chat as Safety Nerd or uh, Alan at PrepperPodcast.ca, and that's Alan with one L. Gavin, where can everybody get you? Uh, the best place to find me is uh, for now on the Instagram, UrbexGTA, or you can find me, Ragnarok Tactical. Uh, if you need some medical supplies when you're not buying stuff from Rapid Survival, hit up Ragnarok Tactical. Use the code GAVIN10 for a discount. Cool. And you can find me just at uh, feedback at carperpodcast.ca. And I may or may not forward. If it's hate mail about you not getting your ham license, then it's coming your way for sure. Anything else, I'll decide as things come. Yeah, I would, I, I would expect nothing less. Uh, for compliments, you can get me, Scott, at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. If you have complaints, it's Alan with one L at prepperpodcast.ca. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll still publicly shame you. Don't worry, Scott. <laughs> Oh, you guys are good. Uh, anybody wants to reach me? I'm at uh, monkman038 at gmail.com. Right on. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com or on the Discord group uh, under the Island Retreat. You can also find myself and Gavin on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube and the Discord group uh, Canadian Patriot Podcast. Email us if you want an invite. There you can find us discussing on Sunday evenings at uh, or Monday evenings. Monday, Monday, Monday evening, yes. Monday evenings, Monday. 9 p.m. Eastern. Why Government Waste and Society has me practicing my gunpowder cauterization. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, please check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat or you can get me in the, uh, the Discord chat as well. Been, uh, lurking you can, around you can try the code bit. Gavin 10 on that. It may or may not work. Yeah, yeah. I'll, program, I'll program it in. Now it works. Sweet. Go. Easy as that. Uh, so thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And uh, skip the Narcan this time. <laughs>